Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Oraculos True Divination Podcast, where I bring you ancient wisdom for the modern mystic. I'm your host, Michael A. Bryan, and joining me this evening is Mrs. Eve Dembowski. Eve, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Most definitely. Eve, I'm really excited to dive into our topic this evening, which is going to really be you and your life with astrology and ultimately how that brought you to horary astrology. But before we get there, for those of our listeners who this is your first time joining us here on the Oraculos True Divination podcast, this is a podcast where I bring you interviews from astrologers from around the world who aren't just changing their own lives through their astrological practice, but they're actively making contributions to this greater astrological field that we know and love. So if you want to be a part of the magic and the momentum that we're building here on the Oraculos True Divination podcast, give yourself a moment, go down below, like the video because I can assure you it's going to be a great one, as well as subscribe to the Oraculos True Divination podcast, and then hit that notification bell on the side of the subscribe button so that you receive notifications of when I bring you these interviews each and every week. Okay, now, Eve, you are all the other way. You're not just across the pond, but you're across the pond and then down under. That's right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, from my accent, people will say, well, you don't sound Australian. And that's because I was actually born in the U.S. and Uh, grew up in Canada and lived in Europe for a bit when I was a child. But basically moved to Australia when I was 23. So I've been here ever since. And I'm obviously a little bit older than 23. (laughs) I've been here a while. (laughs) Good. Well, I must say, when you got on the call, I was like, hmm, I thought she was in Australia. I thought she was Australian. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and and, yeah, it, it sort of hits. I often get, you know, are you Irish? A lot of people ask me that. They think I'm Irish. They think my accent is Irish for some reason, but... No, it's not. Anyway, but I'm here. I've been here for 40 years. Wow. I kind of gave my age away, didn't (laughs) It's completely fine. It's completely fine. You know, people don't believe me when I say that I'm from the Bahamas because they expect for me to have an accent that's quite different from the one that I have. And it is true. I have a working accent that allows me to move through the non-Caribbean world, but I also do have a specifically Bahamian Jamaican accent that allows me mm-hmm. to be understood within the space of my family and friends. So I, I, I do think that in terms of accents, we tend to shift depending on the spaces that we're in. But sometimes maybe we're just weird and our accent. That's right, yeah. And look, and to be really honest, I actually didn't grow up English speaking. Ah. I grew up French speaking. So in my family, though we lived sometimes in English worlds, we spoke French in the family. And so I learned English when I was actually about eight, um, when I started going to school. So I was one of those kids that got into the class and hi, this is the new kid and I didn't know English. So I still remember that feeling, but within a, like a few weeks, you know, kids learn languages very quickly. And now my French is not very good anymore because I don't use it, you know, or very, very rarely use it. So, anyway. Well, it, so it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned French because I do know that you have a history by way of your father with medieval French culture. And we're going to get there in a bit. But before we do, Eve, please tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself, who it is you are, how it is you came to astrology, and how you came to the very specific perspective of astrology from which you practice today. Sure. Okay, so my history, I suppose I was always interested in astrology. And the first time I remember um, being aware of astrology, I mean, my father being a medievalist had a, a colleague named Carl Wheatley. And Carl was, um, he was a professor at Princeton University. And I'm not quite sure what his specialty was, but it would have been, he was, you know, in the language field. And he came to visit and he had gotten an interest in astrology and he had a little book and he asked me my birth time and my birth date and he did some little chart and he told me all sorts of stuff, which I had no memory of. I was about 11. <laughs> but I remember being fascinated and thinking, wow, what is this thing? And obviously it's something that's been around for a long time. But then, you know, I became a teenager and, you know, a young person when I was at music school, I went to music school after um, high school. I remember trying to teach myself astrology through the Derek and Julia Parker workbook, you know, and, you know, that didn't really work. And then I moved to Australia and um, I started to have, I, well, I got pregnant fairly early, earlier than I had planned, but hey, such is life. And I tried again while my little, my young, well, eldest rather who was very little at the time I tried to teach myself astrology then again through these same sort of workbooks and then life just took over I just kind of got immersed in children and whatnot <laughs> and what happened to me is when my eldest was about eight or nine by that time I had two more I he was having some issues at school he's he's I mean he's now a wonderful very um Six, well, successful in the sense that he's doing what he loves, he's passionate, he's good at what he does, he's got a family and a child and whatnot. But at that age, he wasn't like your normal kid in a way. He was a little bit interesting and he was having quote unquote issues. Um, one thing led to another and I finally met this woman. I thought maybe he had allergies and whatnot because that was in the sort of late 80s, 90s, which was the, the, the way, you know, if your child was having a problem, it was his diet. Um, and she actually challenged me and said, well, even if he is allergic, why do you think he's allergic? And I was like, well, what do you mean, why? And she said, well, you know, the body is not naturally meant to be allergic to foods. I mean, obviously eating junk, I wasn't feeding him junk, but um, she said there would be no reason, really, if you think about, or she was challenging me to come up with a reason, and I wasn't able to. Um, and so she was a naturopath, so I thought, well, I'll take him to see her. And she, at one point during the consultation, pulled out a pile of photos of flowers. And she laid out these photos and asked my, my Sebastian, um, if you could have some of the, which flowers would you have in your garden? And he immediately was picking them all out because I was a keen gardener and he, he, he already knew a lot of the names of all the plants. He was, um, he had that kind of mind, you know, he's a writer now. So his, he, he 
remembered the names of all the plants and we'd go to the nursery and the people would be very impressed that this little kid knew all the names of these plants. So he picked out a whole lot of um, photos and he had like about 20 and then she goes, okay, now if you could only have, you know, four of them, which ones would you have to have? And he whittled it down to four. I do remember two of them, but I don't remember the other two. One was lavender and the other one was um, uh, Californian poppy. And I'm watching this and going, what's going on here? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she goes, well, I can see that you're a little bit um, confused. And she handed me a book and she said, you can look up what these flowers are about. So I did. And it was as a mother, you know your child and you understand them in a way that is just so profound. And when I was reading the healing properties of these particular flowers, it was like they were describing my son. And I just thought, whoa, what's going on here? And she explained to me, oh, these are flower essences. And I said, flower essences? They're not oils. She gave him a little bottle and I was meant to give it to him two or three times a day, whatever it was. And within two days, I had people who'd had no idea that he was on, on anything, you know, mentioned to me how, oh, Sebastian seems so much calmer and changed. And I thought, my God, there's something really going on here. Now, at the same time for me, it was like this little light or this little antenna sort of appeared in my mind. And I would be doing whatever I was doing during the day and I would like feel a presence or hear a voice. And I'd turn around and it'd be a little plant looking at me going, hi, I'm here. And so basically, very quickly, it was like there was this, it, it was like a tsunami opening of awareness of the life and the consciousness all around me in the plant kingdom. I mean, I'd always had a lot of plants. I loved my garden, but this was something different. This was like I was being spoken to, you know, and I would, I would hear things in a way. And then I'd go, is that my imagination? But I would follow it. And um, what I did over a period of, you know, I look back because I kept the dates. Um, and I did over a period of nine months, I made about 24 essences just from plants in my garden. And each one of them was like a little lesson. So it wasn't for me to share this necessarily with the world. It was for me to learn. So I felt that they were teaching me. So that was how I really, like the whole thing opened up for me. And for many years, I worked as a flower essence therapist, always having an interest in astrology, but not really, you know, I wasn't really doing astrology then. I was, I was very focused on that. And what I learned from the... I call, you know, the, the plant kingdom, the divic kingdom, whatever you want to call it, was that, you know, I'm dealing with actual conscious beings, you know, and if we open ourselves up to them, they speak to us and they, they, they guide us, they show us things, they teach us things. And yes, they heal because a lot of dis-ease is actually imbalances. And sometimes those imbalance, I think, often those imbalances are mental, emotional, and if we can change that, we can, we can um, balance. And of course, 
you know, there's the body, you know, sometimes eventually the body's going to die anyway. So we, we might as well just face it. That's just a reality. And so we need to look after the body as well. So that was one thing. Now, finally, through the um, flowers, I worked with them for many years. And then finally, I thought, well, I really should get like a piece of paper saying that I'm qualified. So I did, there was a guy here, um, Mark Wells, who was running a flower essence year certificate course, which I took. And on the final day of the course, we had like a little party and there was like a networking table. And one of the participants had put uh, a little flyer for um, an astrology course. And I was like, wow, astrology, I've always wanted to learn this. So I picked it up. I went along and I, um, the next year I started this flower, uh, this uh, astrology course. And I mean, I remember the first day the teacher went, okay, we teach humanistic um, natal astrology. We do not do horror. We don't do mundane. We don't, you know, all these things they didn't do. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I, I didn't know that there was, I just thought it was astrology, you know? Anyway, I did that course. It was very, very modern, very, um, Brian Clark. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Clark. He's quite well known. He does a lot of work with the myths. So very much, I like to call it a la Liz Green kind of astrology yes. is what I start with, you know. And, you know, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely like the first few, you know, months, it was like I was obsessed. I'd come home after each weekly class and I'd be like, you know, I have to put this down and I'd need to, you know, it, I just loved it, right? Then about a year into it, so the, the course was set up, there was two years of just the basics. And after that, you could continue if you wanted to. And you'd do these little units and modules and it was more, you know, specific things. Well, I'd say about maybe halfway through the second year or starting near the beginning of the second year, I had this terrible, terrible experience where I started to get bored. And I thought, how can I get bored? I love this stuff. How can I be bored? You know, it really was like, no, I don't want to be bored. So I thought, what's going on here? Um, and around that same time, I happened to go to a, an astrology conference. It was the first astrology conference I went to. And I remember at this particular conference, um, Lee Lehman was there. She actually did the um, what do you call it? The, the, the main talk in the, on the first evening, the, um, the, 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 the inaugural, the inaugural yeah, address. Yeah. yeah the, the sort of like, okay, we're starting and here we've got this special lecture. And I remember even what she spoke about, which was about the end times and how everyone throughout history always thinks that they live in this special end time. And it was quite interesting. Um, there was also Rob Hand was there and Bernadette Brady. And there was another fellow whose name escapes me at the moment. He's a New Zealander, but he's very much into classical traditional astrology. There was a lot of medieval classical astrology being presented in that particular um, conference. And I went to all these lectures um, of all these people I'd never heard of. And I remember I mean, I spoke to Lee because now we're colleagues and I told her, I said, I remember seeing you and you spoke about Hori. I didn't even know what Hori was. And that was your lecture. 
and your first words were, I love Hori, because, you know, you get someone, they come in, they ask you a question, and it's like, cha-ching. And I thought, okay, <laughs> what's this about? And when I realized it was like a question, and then she was answering it from a chart, I was like blown away. I thought, I'd never heard of anything like this. This was something that was so new to me. Rob Hand talked about essential dignities. And I was like, what? What is this? You know? So that conference changed me. I came home with a lot of books on traditional astrology, most of them not the original text, because that was a little bit one, far, one step too far for me at that point. Um, I did look at them. They were probably very early, I would say, translations from Project Hindsight, like the very first ones. And I remember picking some up and they'd be like a paragraph and then they'd be like, three paragraphs of footnotes <laughs> and I'd yeah. be like, oh, you know, <laughs> and they'd be these words I'd never heard of, you know, yep. the high leg and all these just weird things. And I thought, I don't even know what they're talking about. So I, I got home. I remember I'd bought Lee Lehman's works, which were about traditional astrology, but written in normal English that I could actually read. And I just started learning on my own. So at that point, it was really, I, I was still doing the modern astrology course. And the more I was doing it, the more I was, you know, I would, you know, they would say something and then I would kind of try to translate that into a traditional or more classical way of understanding it. By the time I finished the course, I was like, you know, no, Uranus does not rule Aquarius. I'm sorry. You know, by that time I had understood these basics and I thought this isn't the way it is. Um, eventually, uh, it was just learning through books. There were a few of us who had gone on the dark side, like we used to say. We used to get together and compare notes, like we've gone on the dark side. And uh, <laughs> eventually I finished that course and I just kept learning on my own. And it wasn't until I met Deborah Holding about probably about six years after I finished the course. I met Deborah in 2009 when she came out here. I organized, me and a couple colleagues organized the Regulus Traditional Astrology Conference. Um, and I learned firsthand about astrological politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience. Um, but we got Deborah to come and that's when I met Deborah. And I eventually did her, her master's course. And that's how she asked me to teach the STA course, which was great, you know. And so Deborah was probably the first teacher I had of traditional astrology. But I'd learned a lot since then. But it was a little bit um, all over the place on some level. I was trying to make sense of it. Like, um, you know, okay, there's Banati. And then there's Al Biruni. But, you know, okay, but Al Biruni came like 400 years before Benati. Well, I, I wasn't really quite sure of all those kind of, you know, the, the, the um, timeline of things, kind of putting it together and getting a little bit confused with who's who as far as what period and stuff like that. Um, so by the time I'd met Deborah, I had become more and more interested in Hori. And when... You know, the funny thing, it's like when I started doing flower essences, I remember um, someone mentioning, oh, one of the ways you can diagnose or you can prescribe is you can use a pendulum. And my first response 
was, oh, please. You're joking, <laughs> right? You're joking. I'm going to pick up a pendulum. And then all of a sudden, it was like I couldn't get the pendulum out of my brain. So I had to find a pendulum. <laughs> and I remember going out one day and saying, I'm going to have to go and find, where do you buy a pendulum? So I went into a new age shop and I sort of very uh, excuse me do you sell pendulums and she was oh yes we've got a whole array of them and I went oh okay so it's a thing that people use <laughs> and I picked up that pendulum and I'll tell you Michael um I brought it home I told my husband I had my first little things of flower essences and I just started holding the pendulum and this thing flew out of my hands it was going so fast. I mean, the energy was so strong and it was like, okay, pendulums actually do, <laughs> do show you something. Yeah. Um, they stopped flying out of my hands. I said, okay, that's enough. You've proved your point. Let's just, you know, do it so that I don't hit someone in the face with this <laughs> crystal pendulum. Um, and the same thing happened when I first heard about Corey. I thought, really? You just ask a question? Or I first started to think about it like as something you would do. Um, but then, of course, I couldn't get it out of my brain. And the first horary I asked, um, this was before I had studied. I mean, I had, I think I had a book that I'd kind of looked. So I got the idea of where you look for things. Uh, not one of the good books. It was just whatever book I happened to find. The first question I asked, and it was my husband, we got woken up very early in the morning a phone call and it was his brother saying that their father had um, been taken to hospital because the night before he'd gone to bed, he had a headache. He went to bed and when my mother-in-law went to go to sleep, she was saying, you know, Peter, move, move over. And he didn't wake up. He was just unconscious. And so they couldn't wake him up. So he was taken to hospital and my husband took a plane and when they live up in the country here. And I felt a little bit like lost, you know? So we, our kids are fairly young at the time. And I just was like, well, is my father-in-law gonna die? And that was the question. And that chart was very clear that he would die. In fact, he was already technically dead, but um, he didn't actually, they didn't take him off the ventilator for like three days. Um, and that chart blew me away. I thought, wow, it was so clear. And it was an intense question. And that's usually what happens with horary charts. You know, they're very clear, particularly when the question is really, really heart, heartfelt. And you just, you know, you, in a sense, you need the answer. It's important. Um, so from that point on, I suppose I started to really, you know, God, that was so probably, yeah, from that point on, I more and more just started to, um, you know, I got the Lily book and very slowly made my way through. It. And it was actually Deborah Holding who said something to me. She goes, Eve, what you need to do is you need to imagine when you're reading that it's my accent. <laughs> so if you've ever heard Deborah speak, she's got a particular accent, yes. <laughs> uh, which I love, and I would love to be able to imitate it, but I can't. Um, she goes, but you've got to imagine that voice. And then she also said, and reading him aloud makes it easier. And that was a big thing for me. 
to actually read Lily aloud. And so that was like a turning point for me to understand Lily. I mean, there's still sometimes words he uses that are a bit strange, and, but you can look them up. Um, and sometimes you can make sort of sense of it from the context. Right. Um, not always. So, yeah. So, Eve, that is really fascinating. And I'm also really keenly wanting to know about whether or not you also felt such a deep resonance with medieval and traditional approaches to astrology because of your previous exposure and work with flower essences. Because as you know, within the traditional medieval and Renaissance astrological corpus, there's such a rich amount of information on the use of herbs astrologically that I want to know whether or not mm-hmm. that served as a, as a piece that really you know sealed the deal for you that there was yeah. this other form of astrology that integrated the flower essence, well, not necessarily the flower essences, but that integrated the plants. the plants. Yes. Yes. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if I consciously was aware of that because when I was doing the flower essences, I mean, I did get interested in herbalism. And I remember, you know, looking at like herb, I have a lot of herbal books and I would look at like the herbs um, of course, I've got cold pepper, <laughs> which, um, you know, and I've got actually like four versions or four, four, four editions of cold pepper. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I, I, I immediately put, put that together, but certainly as I started to do, you know, to study traditional astrology on my own, then it became more apparent. And particularly once I got interested as well in, in medical astrology, which, I mean, I would never put myself in the same category as someone like Lee Lehman, who's been doing it for so long. And, you know, my, my fear or not fear, it's trepidation, I think, with medical astrology is that like, I'm not medically trained in any way, you know? So it's kind of like, there's always that I can look at a chart and I can see certain things, but that trusting of what that, actually is saying is 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 that that's a little bit difficult so i have an interest in it and you know therefore um when you start to look at the ancient ancient the the more traditional medical astrology books and they speak about herbs and they speak about them in a certain way i mean there's one the um belgrave i think you pronounce his name blagrave yeah so he speaks about you know taking a bunch of solar herbs you know, actual plants and, and, and putting, making a little packet and keeping it around your neck close to the heart because of course the solar is the heart and that strengthens the whole system. Well, to me, that's like a flower essence. That's the idea of it. You're not ingesting it, but you're getting the energy of it. You're getting the, the essence of those herbs. So, you know, that was there. Um, you know, of course, uh, with uh, Paracelsus, he talked about collecting the dew of, on the herbs. And that was ba- that's basically flower essences so, yeah. or yeah. essence of the plant. So it was there, but it was sort of probably later that I started to notice how it was there. But what I will say is where it's really, um, when I, I tell my students this all the time, and I mean, this sounds a little bit woo-woo, and I'm not... I don't want to. I don't want to go new agey on you, but I do feel sometimes when you're working with 
quarry. There's this sort of, I've become so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not awe, it's um, respectful or honoring of the moment. So at this moment, which is about the moment, there are certain things that are reflect, you know, they're happening out there. So we are being, uh, we participating in this moment, which we can look at as a, as a chart, you know, in, in our astrological um, language. But what's actually happening is that there are these conscious intelligence, which are the planets that are presenting something to us. And I, I think that that comes from the flower essence experience I had of the, this is actually an intelligence will work. It's not coming from me. It's not, you know, like I think very often we as human beings are so enamored with, with our own intellect and our own experience that we, you know, it's like, I think this, or I perceive that. It's like, no, it's being presented to you. Um, my problem with the whole flower essence thing that I had or, or over the years, I got to a point where I was like, well, but where is this coming from? Where's all this information coming from? Am I making it up? Because if that's the case, then there's a problem here. You know, I mean, I, I, I suppose I felt, you know, I felt that as soon as you go into that territory, then the ego is very um, likely to take over. So is it, is it that in terms of the work that you did with flower essences, you felt as if that field gave more creative license to the practitioner to potentially make stuff up based on their own experience? Well, in a sense, that's what I was worried about. So when I did the flower essence course, you know, this was taught by a naturopath. Right. So he had this whole training, which I didn't have, um, you know, so they talked about, you know, like certain organs that were connected to certain emotions and how, you know, like you might have a particular, I, I can't think offhand, I should have sort of thought of a few examples, but, you know, um, you might have a particular flower essences, flower essence that's very much for, for um, balancing out the emotions and that herb is actually good for the kidneys which also balances out the you know the the system on many levels so you'll you'll have these parallels between the herb and the essence um which you know for me that was all new information and um but yeah i i guess i i sort of could see how easy it could flip to you know becoming all this new age stuff and you're just channeling things and you're just saying all this stuff. and things would come to me when i was with clients i would just sort of see things um you know like i i don't know where it came from and that was what worried me you know i mean or started to worry me now i think it's because um there wasn't enough saturn <laughs> that's how i see it it wasn't you know, there wasn't enough Saturn yeah. in that. It was yeah. too flowing up here somewhere. And I thought, no, it's, it, it has to be grounded. It has to be, there's got to be structure to this. And I feel the same with astrology. And for me, um, you know, I guess when I started getting bored with, you know, <laughs> in that first year of serious study, 
um, it was because it felt a little bit like, well, anything can mean anything. You know, what do you think Jupiter means? Oh, it's expansion. You know, it's, you're expanding into, you know, what does that mean? You know, and um, when I first started, I kind of felt like, you know, in modern astrology, it could, you know, you could basically pretty much create what, weave whatever story you wanted onto a chart. And they didn't see, I remember actually, after we finished the first two years, one of our last, you know, classes was they put a chart up and they went, okay, so what do people see? And I remember looking at this chart and thinking, I have no, excuse my language, effing idea. You know, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, I can see that the moon is there and I can see that that's there. And this is, you know, but what does the chart itself, what does it reveal? I didn't know. I didn't know. They had never really taught us how to do this. You know, I mean, we'd learned the al alphabet, you know, the first house, Aries, Mars, you know, that kind of thing. And we learned a lot about the myths of these, you know, various planetary myths and sign myths. And, you know, we could create these wonderful, you know, and look, I have no doubt that in the hands I've seen certain people that do this kind of astrology that are very good at it that I'm sure that can help clients immensely, you know, that they're working on that level with imagery. Um, but to me, that didn't feel like astrology. I mean, I might as well just do flower essences. You know what I mean? Because that's the kind of thing you do with flower essences. You know, it's a pink flower. It's, you know, the emotions, it's love, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that. And so I kind of felt like surely that's not how it was done in the past. Um, and of course, reading the ancient text, I, I realized that. But I also, I think for me, I feel when I'm looking at a chart, I feel a lot of reverence. That's the word I was looking for, reverence. I'm dealing with actual intelligent conscious beings. We call them planets or the cosmos, but it is, there's an intelligence. And if we are humble enough I believe, to shut the fuck up <laughs> and listen to what they are saying to us. And that's what the symbolism, you know, to respond to the symbolism that's in there. But to do so in a way that it's not imposing your own ideas of what the symbolism is, but rather what has actually been, you know, like part of the lineage of astrology, which is incredibly ancient you know it goes so far back and so to actually join that to connect with that we're sort of guided i mean recently i read something and this is not to do with horary but it is to do with astrology um i was reading about the uh and actually funny because i know stephen birchfield yes birchfield yes um he mentioned this the al mutant of the figure and so I've been doing some, some study on it and I did read, and I think he mentioned this, but he kind of said, that's not how he works with it or something. Um, he just kind of mentioned it, but um, it was known also as your guardian daemon. And so I've looked at this and I have found that this concept, I mean, for me, it's Jupiter in the third house in Libra. I, you know, that's, that's the Al Mutant of the figure. And um, 
one of the things I was reading, and I really can't remember now, I think it might have been some of Dorian Greenbaum's um, work on the daemon, and she, I kind of got her thesis book thing, and so that's probably from there. But it was about this concept that if you feed your guardian daemon, it will guide you, you know, it will direct your life. And so feeding it is doing whatever that planet is about. And I found, well, the more I go into Jupiter, which is philosophy, which is, you know, higher learning, connecting with all those Jupiterian type of things, but it's also in the third house. So it is about communicating and possibly on some level teaching or sharing that with others. It's in Libra. And the more I do that, the more I feel that the path before me is very clear. It's like my purpose is clear, you know? So I then have to say, well, if I can feed, so to speak, this daemon, this that is represented by this planet, what I'm doing is actually feeding the planet. Um, and so I'm opening myself up to it. I'm nourishing it and I'm allowing it to reveal itself to me more and more. And I think that's really how, for me, astrology is this connection we have with the cosmos. And I picture it in the same way that connecting with the flowers, when I was working with flower essences, you know, it's like, they're actually speaking to us. We just need to le learn to listen. And recently um, I had this amazing, uh, experience well not amazing experience i just became aware of this woman named um monica gagliano i think her name was and she's a scientist right she comes from a science background so very saturn um and she wrote a book called thus spoke the plant and it's about her journey into connecting and like you know she took like one chapter it's about her her communication so to speak with a particular plant which i can relate to because that's what happens when you work flower essences you actually have these visions of the plant talking to you and telling you things and then she but in her case the plants told her you actually have to set up these scientific experiments which she did you know exactly as they told her which actually proved scientifically through that kind of replicable replicable <laughs> you, you know the word I'm um you know so that others can do the same thing and get you know the same or, or replicable replicable yeah replic replicable replicable that's right yeah. um and basically what these these prove so to speak, or indicate is that plants have memory and they are conscious on some level. I mean, and to me, it was like, oh, finally, you know, like there's, in other words, this is coming into more and more into our understanding that, yeah, that's, that's what's happening here. Um, and I think that planets are the same. The cosmos is the same, you know, and, but I mean, it's so vast. Um, and yeah, I, I think if we humble ourselves enough, then, you know, they'll speak to us and they speak to us through charts. And with Hori, it is so immediate. You know, it's like, just 
you know, I mean, I often think, you know, sometimes you'll get a chart and it just like sings. You don't have to do much. It's so clear what the, what the answer is or what the judgment is. Yeah, afterwards you can go back and you can sort of lay it all out and analyze and write out why, but it's, you know, you just look at the chart and it's like, nah, you're not going to get together with this guy. (laughs) It's so clear, you know, don't worry about it. And you don't have to go very far if you understand the language that the cosmos is speaking, I suppose you could say. And that to me, that's the Saturnian part. We have to learn that. We have to do the discipline of learning and never, I mean, I, I fight with this in myself, never get to a point where you think you know it all, you know, you always have to know that it's a work in progress. We're eternal students. <laughs> There's no way I'm always blown away when I, I hear, like when I listen to Steve and I went, wow, you know, I'm always blown away with what little I do know. Yeah. when I, I'm faced with people who, and that's what's so exciting to me about you know meeting other astrologers um you know that yeah it's it's, it's very exciting when you meet people that are that are somewhat Saturnian in there um, <laughs> um, I mean I have a lot of friends or a lot of colleagues here in in Australia um that are very Neptunian in their approach it's all good <laughs> great wonderful and you know we can all kumbaya together and i think <laughs> oh, that's nice but it, it kind of maybe it, it goes against my grain i'd like well, something a bit grounded rooted like plants <laughs> well I'm, I'm very happy that you're saying that because you're speaking with the walking embodiment of saturn himself <laughs> because yeah, and I, tell me yeah yeah i married a triple capricorn <laughs> Capricorn, sun, moon, and ascendant. So, yeah. So, clearly, I was sort of attracted to the Saturnian thing in life. Yeah. I mean, I feel that we really have to always go back to Saturn because Saturn will always provide the framework for our exploration. And even though Jupiter gives us the wings with which to fly, Saturn really defines the parameters of the terrain in which we're flying. And I think that a lot of astrology today tends to be so focused on the fact that astrology allows us to fly that it doesn't really take into consideration the the terrain or the borders or the landscape that allows that flights to be purposeful and not just flight into free space. So I'm I'm really, really keen on on the purposefulness of Saturn within astrology and whether it is we're studying modern astrology, because I also know some brilliant astrologers who practice within a completely different paradigm and framework than I practice in, and they are rigorously modern astrologers. And when we're having conversations and they say certain things, I'm like, I've never learned that in my life. But, (laughs) but, but, But at the same time, I think that when you as an astrologer approach your craft as an actual technician and with some actual technical basis to what it is you're doing, it Mm. allows 
that Jupiterian flight piece to be that much more potent and that much more meaningful because now you have something to keep you grounded. And um, it, it's, it's really important for me that that connection of both Jupiter as an expansive quality within our astrology, but Saturn as really pulling in the reins on on that so that we can always bring it back into something that makes tangible, concrete sense. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I remember years ago, and I don't know who said this or what, it may have actually been my father. <laughs> I'm now thinking I can sort of hear his voice, but it was, we were talking about freedom and many times, you know, we can say that Jupiter in a way is about freedom to expand out there. But with freedom comes responsibility and, you know, like in a tangible way, like, you know, like politically, if you were, in, you know, if you live in a quote free society, well, you've got responsibility, you need to vote, you need to look after each other, whatever. So freedom doesn't come without some sort of strings attached. And I think the problem is, is that, um, I mean, I see, you know, I particularly see like some of the modern astrologers I know have really gone beyond Jupiter, they've gone Neptune, you know, it's like, it's just, whoa, it's all good. Um, but you look, I think Saturn is also the one that, I mean, I often think, well, we live in a body, right? We live on this planet, which is a manifestation of whatever it is, you know, spirit, the divine, this is, this is where it all manifests. I mean, this is one of the things I learned about the plants. Each one of them has its little it's saying, well, this is what it's representing. And it is in balance with everything else. So you can, you know, like often I think, well, you know, we're, we're doing terrible things to this planet, you know, with pollution and all sorts of stuff. And I'm often thinking, well, you know, the planet will be fine. It will survive. We might not, but it will survive because it has an amazing way of, of healing itself. You know, it just... It will do so. Certain plants will just take over. Like in um, in Alaska, when there's been forest fires, the fireweed, they call, for good reasons, will just um, grow like crazy. And then it, it dies down. It has whatever constituents it has chemically and in, its, um, in the leaves. It sort of feeds the, the earth so that more things can grow. It's like a, just a natural thing that occurs. Um, and you see this in nature all the time. It's we who are a little bit out of it because we think that we're, we're above it or that somehow we, you know, we, we can control it or we can, you know, do whatever we like and not have to pay attention. It's the same thing with people who like, you know, I've done horary charts for people and they'll be like, oh, when can I sell, you know, will my house sell? And if so, when? And you look at the chart and you're thinking, I see no sale for this house at all. I mean... <laughs> And so, you know, you might look forward and you go, look, maybe in 18 months you can try and I'm really pushing this chart to, to tell me something. And then three months later they come and say, okay, I've sold my house and now I want to buy this, this um, other house. And so when's it going to happen or vice versa? Sorry, we bought a house and now we, we need to sell our house. When's it going to happen? And I'm like, well, I've already told you it's not going to happen. <laughs> and it's not going to happen, but they are convinced they can make it happen. So unless they drop the price immensely it's not going to happen but you know it's like you've already been told but you don't believe it and you think that you can just and that's fine you can do it but it's going to be difficult and yeah. you might be disappointed um 
I don't know what, where I was going with that one. Um, but, excuse me, my old cat, she's, she's just going to sit here. Um, so, yeah, so I think Saturn, to me, like, I, I had this idea. I often have ideas, and I'm going to write this. And then I'm so slow at writing. I never get around to it. But I had this idea that, in fact, each planet, the seven classic planets, is is a teacher of sorts and we're learning something specific from each one. And the first one you've got to deal with is Saturn because Saturn is the one that gives you the, the understanding that you actually have to do the work. You've actually got to be practical. You've got to sit down. You've got to open the books. If you know, you're learning from a book or watch the video that, you know, or listen to the lecture or, and then look at these charts and work them out and actually do the work and learn the theory behind it and why that theory is there. All of these things that um, some people find a little bit boring. (laughs) They just want to go off and do it. Jupiter sort of has the way of teaching that, you know, you need to, um, acknowledge the wisdom that of old or of, of others, you know, that there is a wisdom there and that you need to, in some ways, be open to it. But you first have to do the work and then you can gain a little bit more of that. And then you do the work with that. <laughs> then you gain a little bit more and then you do the work. You know, um, each planet has its own thing that it's teaching us. And I think ultimately astrology is an art form. You know, like I said, I went to music school. I married an incredibly gifted composer, still writing music, still producing music constantly. And I knew not long after, you know, I married him that as much as I loved music, music was not my passion. You know, like I, I loved it, but I loved the day more than I loved music. You know, and working as a musician, you basically had your main meal at three in the morning. <laughs> not for me. You know, not for me. No, no. Um, I just, you know, it, it was very quick that I realized I probably just went to music school to meet him because we were obviously meant to be together. You know, that, that was the feeling I had. But um, as an form, an art form, you know, you were talking about, you know, these very modern astrology was doing incredible work within a different paradigm of astrology, Mm -hmm. you know, using astrology in a different way. And they do it incredibly. And it's wonderful to watch. I'm not interested in working in that paradigm, but it is wonderful to watch. And that to me is like going to, you know, a gallery and seeing, you know, you might see, I don't know, maybe Van Gogh really speaks to you and you think, wow, and then you'll see someone else and you go, wow, that, I'm amazed at the technique. I would not be interested in doing that, you know, yeah. but it's beautiful. And I can appreciate the technique and the work and the, the vision that went into it. Um, but it's not my thing. And I think astrology very often is the same. You know, it's like we do have our own, we develop our own way of doing things. Hori, um, you know, teaching the Hori course, very interesting at the moment with the STA, we've got the four tutors and i think that's wonderful for the students because they get a bit of the taste of each one you know and there might be slightly different ways of 
expressing things that we might have. So we're all on the same page, we're teaching the same course and it's from the same perspective, but we've had experiences, we've had our own um, charts and things happen. And so obviously when we, we bring in the personal, you know, well, from a personal level, this is what happened, um, or this is how we've seen it. it. It gives, I mean, I tell the students, you know, the charts are yours when you start to do them and you're the best person to know. I run open chart nights here now on Zoom. Um, just, I used to be in my home here, beg your pardon, in Melbourne, but now I just do it on Zoom. And, um, you know, people, some of them are ex, you know, they've done the course with me and, and they come, oh, I've got this hoary, you know, because it's basically, we'll look at any charts. I just realized people want to look at charts. And I always ask them, the first thing I ask them is, well, how did you approach this chart? what did you see who do you think signified the various you know characters or significators in this particular question how did you approach it because ultimately that is that's what it's about it's about their concept and i, I often will tell people with horror you know this idea of when do you set the chart that becomes a big thing for many people they just get very confused about that well is it when I first heard the question? Um, I think you had Emma Curry. Yes, yes. Yeah, I watched her and I can't remember. She said something about she will sometimes, I know in her book, she said she sometimes takes the time when, you know, she first opens up the email or something. And I thought that is not the way I work at all. <laughs> you know, really interesting, but it's fine. You know, like it's not that yeah. she's wrong. She's clearly not wrong. It's, it's work for her but I always feel like before I can set the chart I need to feel that I understand everything there is to understand about the background to this question so the email might not be enough I mean the questions there I understand the words but why you know like question like you know is this guy the guy for me you know I have to call well you know how did you meet him when did you meet him you know I mean how long have you known, you know, just some background so that I have some lay of the land. And then when I am fully committed to, yeah, I could, I'll make a judgment on this. When I know that I have the time and that I'm prepared to do it, I will then set the chart. So it is totally at a time when, in a sense, it suits me. And I always do a little ritual um, I always ask people for their birth data because I, I do um, use that as a way to, uh, to see if the chart is radical. But I'll do this little ritual where I'll, I, I will print out their birth chart and I put my left hand on it and I ask the cosmos to please provide the answer. You know, I repeat their question, I think of it, and then I, I it, it takes like a two seconds. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like a big, I don't like candles and incense and do all that. Um, well, maybe if it was a really intense question, like, you know, is my son dead or something really, really intense where I can feel the intensity of it, but I might take 10 seconds or something to really focus on it and, and put myself in the right um, place. I often take flower essences to balance myself out too, you know, just, you know, I'll just yeah. take a couple drops of something just to feel like that I'm not, um, that I'm grounded and then I set the chart and the charts are invariably 
radical, you know, like, so that's how I work. Emma works differently and her charts are radical. Lee would work differently. Her charts are radical. Um, Deborah, I think what combines everyone who does Hori is their, um, what's the word? I was going to say that their trust in the system, but it's, it's the fact that they've actually done the work and that they know that this is something in a sense sacred and it works. Now, they might not use those words, that's Jupiter words. But you know, some people might be uncomfortable with those words. I think what's really significant about this is that it acknowledges the aspects of astrology that fundamentally isn't mechanical. And something that came up recently in an interview I did with Rick Levine was at the end of the interview, after we had spoken for quite a while, we both came to the conclusion that astrology is magic. And while, <laughs> yeah, and, and while on the surface, there may be an internal thing within us that wants to steer clear of that word for the purpose of making astrology seem more respectable to the wider world. I think if you've honestly had your question handled by someone skillful at horary astrology, or if you've had your birth chart handled by a very skillful astrologer, you internally come to the realization that you've just taken part in something that probably can be explained up until a point, but no further, because astrology essentially is part of a larger magical human tradition that goes yeah. back millennia. So yeah. I, I think it's really important that you've acknowledged that mm -hmm. what Emma does works for her, what you do works for you, what Lee does works for her. I was speaking with Alfie Lavoy a couple months ago and Alfie said, he doesn't take the email question at all. If someone sends him an email, he emails that person back and say, hey, call me when you have a time or call me when you have the chance to because I want to talk to you over the phone and use yeah. that conversation as the radical moment. So I think all of us, we end up finding ourselves in astrology and regardless of what the rules are, rules are. Rules, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we come into a particular sense of what works within our own practice. And I know that this can be a point of discomfort for a lot of people, especially people who are very purist in their approach to astrology. It has to be this way every single time or else hellfire will rise up out of the earth and swallow you and your children. But try. <laughs> But, you know, I think at the end of the day, we all have to come to this realization that regardless of our discomfort with the fact that two people have done a separate thing, but still came to the same conclusion, regardless of how we feel and our internal reservations towards that, astrology has this flexibility and this magic in it that allows many roads to lead to the same destination and it's something yeah. that i've had to grapple with myself coming from a more traditional perspective in astrology where i've gone through all of the shades of 
we shouldn't use Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and we shouldn't yeah. use this thing, and we shouldn't use that. And I've gone through all of those cycles within myself, and today, in 2020, I find myself sitting very humble in mm. the center, well, not in the center, but I find myself sitting very humble as one speck within a humongous cosmos that I can't even begin to fathom. And so mm -hmm. the fact that my astrology gives me some insight into some tiny speck of that cosmic life, it doesn't mean shit <laughs> in, yeah. the, in, the, in the grander scheme of yeah. this cosmic vision. Yeah. And, you know, what I find interesting, I mean, a lot of things, you know, for me um, come up when listening to what you've just said. I mean, just like recently, I'm trying to write an article. Like I said, I'm very slow at writing. Um, but you think of the sun, the glyph of the sun is a circle with a tiny dot in the middle. And it's like, that's that little spark of the divine that we're connected to, but it's only one little, little tiny, tiny dot of it, you know? So it's, yes, we're all connected to that, but w there's no way we're ever going to get the whole thing. Um, I mean, it's so interesting that you use the word magic because I tell my students that all the time. I say, and I talk about horary particularly because I think, I mean, the other day we had an open chart night and one of the participants was like interested in understanding how you would approach a natal chart from a traditional perspective. And unfortunately, I made the mistake rather than just using just an, anybody, you know, I don't know, some person's natal chart arbitrarily. We looked at hers and so it devolved into basically her talking about her oh yes and my father but you know the whole <laughs> and and it kind of like was like i kept trying to bring it back and we'll look, i was just from a traditional perspective this is what you'd look at you know anyway um <laughs> there's always like there's oh, always my. that one person <laughs> yes <laughs> that's right <laughs> and so it was kind of like um, it was lesson to me to, you know, remember <laughs> not to do that again. But this concept of magic, I think, you know, I have had so many magical experience uh, and that I can only explain as magic, you know, experiences, particularly doing horary. I mean, I had one chart that I did for a woman. It was a relationship chart, you know, so one of these, you know, is this, is there something more in this relationship? And in the chart, she was, um, she was Venus and he was Mars. Um, but her, the Venus, for some reason, I remember looking at the chart. I mean, it was clear that the relationship wasn't going to happen. There was a lot in the background to how she met this person. And but what I saw, Venus was at 17 degrees. Um, I can't remember what, what sign. And the Mars was also at 17 degrees. I believe, you know, the sun was at 17 degrees and one of the outer planets, maybe Uranus or Pluto or something was at, there were only 17 degrees. And I remember thinking, you know, as soon as I saw it, I said, there's something about 17 that's important. Now this is not, you know, the traditional um, technique of looking at, you know, but for me, I've, I've noticed, that's why I don't use whole signs, by the way. It's another reason I use always quadrant because I think those, those degrees on the cusps can yes. be so revealing. Um, and so, and she was Venus. And for some reason I ended up looking, and I very rarely do this. I looked at the Venus cycle. Uh, maybe Venus was actually at the beginning of her synodic cycle 
maybe that's what it was. I can't remember. But I ended up looking at that and I realized that the eclipse before she was born was at 17 degrees something. And like the 17 just kept coming through. And so when I spoke to her, I made two comments. I said, there was either, either something happened when you were 17 that somehow relates to this question or the eight years before when the, you know, Venus cycle had happened before or something. And, you know, there was a silence on the phone. And then she went, oh my God, you know, because something did occur when she was 17 that directly connected with this whole, you know, the, the whole question in this guy and relationships, which I can't remember, something to do with her father, but she said, that is just amazing. Now that was in the chart, you know, that was there. And I, you know, the fact that I was able to, to see it is just, to me, it's like, yeah, if you work long enough, the cosmos will speak to you. And that's why when people start arguing, I remember, you know, oh, do we use the Egyptian terms or the Ptolemaic terms? Well, who cares? Just use whatever, but just stick to one. Yes. And you just let the cosmos know, by the way, I'm Ptolemaic. Okay, <laughs> fine. The cosmos will adhere to your preferences. We'll say, here you go. Wow. <laughs> you know? I have said that I have said that for years and years and years to people that in divination, which is a part of why this podcast is called the True Divination Podcast, and I had the option of calling it several other things, but I realized that my internal life with divination has been so much more than just telling someone yes or no. It's been yeah. this full spiritual experience that is astrological, but it's also mystical. And it's also so many things tied into that mm. because it's literally establishing communication with the divine via an established symbolic language. And Absolutely. Yeah. If, if my established symbolic language are the Ptolemaic terms and I say to the divine, hey, guys, Ladies, everyone, we're going to be doing astrology using the Ptolemaic terms. And I just need for you to, one, know that I need, th this is the language we're speaking in. And please communicate with me via this language. Don't send me yeah. an Egyptian's term language if I'm using the Ptolemaic terms. It works. Yeah. It works. It yeah. works. It works. Yeah, it works. Absolutely. I often, I say it's just different dialects. We're all speaking astrology, but it's a different dialect. So, you know, yeah. I like that. And, you know, I can remember going to, um, I think it was in, I went to a conference in Arizona. It was just mm. a small, uh, it was lovely. It was a, a AFA conference. Um, and I can't really, it was, you know, traditional astrology, but there was some, you know, oh, you know, Egyptian terms are the best because blah, blah, blah. I don't know. There was some discussion about that. And I remember just thinking it doesn't make any difference. It really doesn't. I mean, like in the STA course, you know, Lily uses um, Mars as the triplicity ruler for water, whether it's a day or night chart. Now, for me, that never made sense. I always <laughs> use Venus for day and Mars for night. I, just the way I, I, and I tell the students, I say, look, you know, Lily writes this. And when we're looking at Deborah's charts, a lot of the charts in the course um, are Deborah's charts. And I said, Deborah uses, you know, Mars for day and night. So when we're looking at her charts, that is what is happening here. But when it's my chart, I'll just letting you know that if it's a day chart, I will use Venus as the triplicity ruler for water. 
neither one is right or wrong. They're both fine. They're just, you know, that is what feels right to me. And the cosmos knows that. So it's going to, you know, they under, and this is the thing. We have to humble ourselves and realize that they know a lot more than we do. Yeah. You know, so they're going to be like, oh, there's that poor little, you know, Eve yeah. person. Well, we'll just, you know, she understands. You know? And there's yeah. no way we can do it all. If we start trying to figure out which one is correct, we're never going to do astrology. We're just going to get our minds in. And that's actually another interesting thing. When you were speaking about magic, I did a whole, I did a, a presentation a couple of years ago at just a local place here on Mercury. And to me, Mercury is, is one of those planets that, you know, is really has been misunderstood, particularly after the outer planets kind of took over. <laughs> like a lot of what Mercury was about, suddenly it's given to all these outer planets. And yeah. by the way, I have this whole theory about the outer planets. And when we gave, um, you know, Pluto rulership over Scorpio, Scorpio and Uranus rulership over Aquarius. Well, that is Mars's night house and Saturn's day house, right? Or sign, but you know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like we pissed these malefic off and look at the state of the world since. I mean, that's that was my point. Yeah, I said, why don't we just give them back to these planets and make nice, make friends with them, you know? Well, anyway, well, well, guess what? By the by. Guess what? Today I was in conversation with someone who unequivocally told me that Pluto is the rule of Aries. So. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, historically, it's interesting because I did some research on that. And historically, when Pluto was discovered, yes, they thought let's give it Aries because it was the next sign after Pisces. So they'd given you know Aquarius, Pisces, and so yeah. Aries. And apparently, there was a bit of a conference or some congress that got together and they discussed it, and uh, they actually voted for it to be Aries, but for some reason, it ended up being Scorpio. Scorpio. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, Pluto, nice, think nice of Pluto. Don't be, you know, mean to Pluto. Um, be very respectful of Pluto. Pluto has got a big heart. I yeah, think, you know, yeah. We need it now. Um, and Pluto's got a little buddy. Pluto's not all bad. You know, Pluto's nice, but he does not rule any of the signs. And he yeah. knows that. Yeah. He's got his own special place, as does Neptune and, and Uranus. Let's just give them that. I mean, I use those three planets in my charts. Um, they don't signify, but they certainly affect. They affect, they, they, you know, you, you take them into account when they need to be taken into account. I would never sort of go, oh, they weren't there back in the Hellenistic times, or so therefore I'm not the best. Oh, yeah. So I do <laughs> think it's interesting when you're teaching natal astrology, because I have a course I've written uh, which I call the foundations of astrology. I've only had a few students go through it. Um, but we go, we always look at, you know, everything is applied to their natal chart. But we're looking at it brick by brick. We're building up a wall. You know, you know first the qualities and the temperaments. And we'll look at the signs or I can't remember. No, I think we look at the planets and the houses and then the signs. But it's interesting that sometimes I say, let's take the outer planets out. Just look at the chart without that, because sometimes, particularly most of these students that I've had have learned astrology, they've learned modern astrology, and they will get stuck 
You know, if I've got Neptune on my ascendant, I can't see beyond that. So let's take it out and just see without having that sort of blind you. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how revealing it is. Then we can put them back in and it just kind of supports what was revealed. But it, it, you know, so I think sometimes it's interesting to do the exercise when you're learning to take them out because yeah. it's, I think modern astrology tends to focus so much on them um, to the detriment of the others. And, and they, they're getting pissed off. I think, you know, <laughs> so I kind of feel that like Mercury is like, right, okay, yeah. you've taken my yeah. space, I'm going to cause trouble you know, <laughs> I'm going to bring you and you know you think you know you think you know i'm all about thinking i'll show you you don't really know doodly squat you know um and mercury was you know is really was connected to magic and language you know and logos and you know this idea that mercury is able to go up there and bring the message down but he can also bring the message from here up there so that is who we need to be friends with as well when we're, you know, divining, when we're asking the cosmos for help, you know, we're, we're, we're using that Mercury um, and Mercury is magic. So it is all magic. I absolutely believe <laughs> that, you know, and interestingly, I don't do astrological magic. Like I don't do talismans and stuff. You know, Neither do so I. Silly. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I sort of go, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. It's just a bit. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's the same. Um, I remember someone years telling me, oh, you were probably a witch at some point and you were burnt at the stake. And I thought, yeah, well, that's what they all say. You know, we all were witches burnt at the stake at one point. I was and a witch burnt father, at the stake. Really, what's that? I was a witch burnt at the stake. Yeah, we were all witches. We? <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly, my dad told me, who was a medieval, he goes, you know, there weren't that many witches burned at the stake. It, was, you know, it wasn't that common a thing. They were actually, um, so I thought, well, you know, we've all come back at this point. There's a million of us now. Uh, but what I do believe that, or, or I, I feel, is that, you know, it, I don't believe in necessarily past lives as in little pearls, this life attached, then there's that life, but somehow we're connected to these lineages that we take on. And that this idea of working in these fields, these divination, astrology, even medicine, which was kind of closely aligned with astrology and magic, you know, in the past, it was, you know, we understood health in a different way um that the ego that part of us that thinks that somehow it's about us and that we are the we're in control on some level or we have the power the power we don't have the power is out there we just can sort of maybe channel some of it sometimes you know when we if that's the right word power might not even be the right word but i think the ego is what corrupts and any art is corrupted by ego. And you can see that, you know, whether it's music or painting or anything, once a person starts to believe too much of themselves as an individual, um, they lose that connection with whatever the muses, whatever the cosmos, um, you know, there's something about needing to forever be humble, you know, mm -hmm. um, because once we lose that, 
I think we're in danger territory. I mean, we all have a tendency and we have to pull ourselves back, but that's being human. We're constantly trying to um, perfect, yet knowing that we're never gonna be perfect because perfection is not, it's just a, you know, it's like an, an it, it's what maybe draws us down that path, but it, it is not an end point because we're never gonna get there, you know? Anyway, I'm sort of. <laughs> Eve, I'm really excited to have had this conversation with you, especially when you spoke about this concept of how we can feed our planetary diamonds. I think that that's really important within a greater context of us living more naturally and more organically with our astrology. And it also rings true of some indigenous truths that you feed your ancestors and that you feed your spirit guardians. And in a way, what I hear from you is that in this process of feeding these planetary diamonds, we're essentially feeding our astrological ancestors, which are these stellar beings. And so I, I really do appreciate that. And I also appreciate some of the other ways in which you drew astrology back into a very organic framework. Because I think that today there is so much intellection and intellectualizing of our approach to astrology that we don't really live a natural, organic life as natural astrologers. And I'm not actually sure what that looks like moving forward into the future, but I'm excited to know that there are more people who live spiritually with their astrology, who live organically with their astrology, and who uses their astrology to root them more in nature. Because I think more than anything else, there is a revival of nature that we need and a revival of the spiritual practices that take us back to nature that we need more than anything else in this 21st century. So thank you so much for holding that space within yourself and also for sharing that with us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure to do so. Can I tell one last story? Please do. Yeah. So with the, this guardian daemon idea or the idea of the outmutant of the figure, and I know there's various, again, there's various ways to calculate it. So I'm trying to work it out. So let's keep it simple. Um, I did, I've got four kids, as I said, and one of my daughters is, um, well, both my daughters are living, actually one is, is in New York and the other one's in Chicago. And my youngest, Juliet, who's in Chicago, she went to Chicago in 2016 to, um, she, makes films so she did a, a film thing and she was staying with my father who's now almost 95 so she had you know she was staying at, at her grandfather's place and um long story short she's still there and they've locked down you know and in a weird sort of way my brother and sister who both live in chicago are a little bit estranged you know there's tension between them they're both they're not great communicators either one of them and she, in a strange way, is bringing my family together. You know, like she will make meals and she'll invite, the, as she says, I'm in the, the Dombowskis are coming for dinner. That means my brother and his wife, my sister, and um, if um, Alex, my nephew's there, he comes. And it's great for my dad. And it's great for the, and you know, and it's really warmed my heart. Now, what's so interesting is when I calculate it, and we, she's kind of interested in, in learning astrology through me, um, and 
I calculated or we calculated together her her um, guardian daemon, her owl mutant figure. Now, you have to understand she's got five planets in Scorpio. Sun, uh, Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, uh, and Pluto are all in Scorpio. And she's got Sun, Jupiter, Pluto, basically within a degree and a half of each other. So she's a pretty intense little thing, uh, but she's a, a Gemini rising. So you wouldn't know it when you first meet her. She's all very chatty and going, hi, how are you? you know? But there's that Scorpio and she's got Venus in Scorpio, right? When I worked out her, her um, Al Mutant of the figure, it turned out to be Venus. It wasn't Mars, but it was Venus. Um, so anyway, we, we looked at it. And I thought to myself, well, Venus is in her fifth house. So she's very creative. So she's feeding Venus, that creative part of Venus through her work. But Venus is also about reconciliation, bringing people together, right? And she's doing that in my family. And I talked to her about that. And I said, the more you feed Venus, the clearer your path is going to be. And it's actually happening. And it's so weird because wow. most people would look at her chart and say, it's got to be Mars, <laughs> all that score, if you're a modern astrologer, Pluto, but you know, all, you know what I mean? It's sort of, so I find it really interesting. My other daughter, who's a double Libra, we worked it out and it's Saturn, you know, and she said, mom, that actually really makes sense because the more disciplined she is, the better she feels, the better she feels that she knows, you know, what's coming next. So it's not always what you think. It's not always obvious. And it's honoring that I think is so important. So within our, ourselves individually, but just as astrologers honoring, we're, we're dealing with this amazing, you know, I mean, you, you know, it's divine. It is, it is divination, as you said, Yes. you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, about allowing ourselves to communicate with those that, I mean, it's like the plants, the plants are just waiting for us to open our ears and listen. They're constantly talking to us. We just don't hear, or most of us don't listen or hear or think that there's anything to hear. And that's, you know, when people say, oh, you know, so-and-so's got a green thumb, you know, they talk to their plants. Well, they actually do. You know, it's like I tell, you know, if you just have to ask, well, what does it need? Oh, it needs water or it needs to be fed. It, you know, it needs something. It will tell us if we ask, if we just listen. Um, so and I think it's the same thing with the astrology. Wow. Anyway. Well, I will definitely be quoting you that the more we feed the Almutin of our figure, the clearer yeah. our path will be. Okay. I, yeah. I, I think that's so powerful and that's also so beautiful. So thank you for sharing that with us this evening. Oh, you're very welcome. I've had such a good time. For me, it's morning, but it's been wonderful. <laughs> it's been great. And I do... I just want to say, take care of yourself. I want, well, to say to everyone, whoever listens to this, I mean, just please, let's take care of ourselves individually and our, those around us. I mean, it's just such a, a weird time to be alive, but I think it's a time that's really, um, what's the word? It's really challenging us to think of others yes. you know, in a way that maybe we haven't had to in a long, long time that, you know, it's about other people as well. And, trying to keep them well and yes anyway thank you so much i'm so i'm so um i actually how did you hear about me because when you first 
you know, I'm like, how, how do you know about this? It's not oh. like I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've I've always been aware of you, Eve, because I've oh. been associated with Lee Lehman for quite a while, and yeah. I know about the work that she does with the STA, and I know about the work that Deb has done in terms of building the STA, so you've always been in my awareness. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> I wondered about that. You know, the funny thing is with Lee Lehman, it's like I met her, like I said, the first conference, she wouldn't have remembered me. I probably didn't then she came out again in 2004 and she again did the keynote lecture that's what i was looking the for keynote, keynote lecture. lecture in 2004 and she mentioned that um the previous year that they had lost two lights of um uh the history of science who had done a lot for um to help you know traditional astrology and the lineage be reconnected uh, with. And that was David Pingree and Erica Reiner. Now, Erica Reiner was my parents' best friend. Wow. Erica Reiner spent every Christmas with us. And she gave the worst presents ever, you know, like who was a joke, you know, you'd get, you know, socks with each individual toe, you know, I mean, she was Erica, she was love, we all loved her, she was very funny. And I remember going up to Lee and saying, did you ever meet Erica? And Lee said, no, um, I never had the chance. And I said, well, you know, I met her, I met her many times, I had no idea, I mean, I knew she was working with the Babylonian, the, not Babylonian, what's it called, um, the other name they have for the language, the Assyrian language, and you know the Babylonian with the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago, and um, you know, so I knew this. I knew she was a big, you know, big person in her field. But you know, I mean, I was a university brat. There were a lot of big people in their fields. They were just like boring people to me as a kid. And um, I ended up with her ring. I'm still wearing her ring wow. that she wore because my mother was the executor of her will when she died and um, she was asked, she was told, look, just pick out a piece of her jewelry. She had a lot of stuff. It was a big, took a long time. So my mother took this ring because this is a ring that Erica wore all the time and it reminded her of Erica. So my mother wore it until she died and then I got it. So I'm now wearing wow. Erica Rhino's ring, you know, so that lineage. Wow. So when I met Lee that time, she said, no, and she thought, oh, that's amazing. Years later, I meet Lee again, just before she joined the STA. So it was 2015, I think. I met her in England. I didn't think she'd remember me. I thought, you know, we talked once, you know, like 18, or no, no, sort of 11 years previous. And she saw me, she went, oh, Erica Reiner. So she <laughs> didn't remember my name, but she remembered the connection. And it was just like, and since then, well, I've gotten to know her quite well. And uh, Okay, so awesome. sorry about that. I can... You're probably tired and you want to put your groceries away. So. <laughs> it's completely fine, Eve. Eve, please, before we leave, tell our viewers and listeners where they can find you, if they want to get in contact with you for a reading, if they want to okay. study. How can people find you? Okay, well, I have um, two emails. I, I have a, a blog, which I never write on, so I won't even go there because it's like... Um, if people are interested, there's old stuff. It's called Astrological Mind. Um, it's a, what is it? It's a WordPress. So, I mean, I really should be 
adding stuff to it, but I, I don't. But I do have um, an email, which is schoolofclassicalastrology at gmail.com. And that's probably the best way. So it is very long. I know I realized that afterwards. I thought, oh, why did I pick that name? But schoolofclassicalastrology at gmail. And that's probably the best way. And then, of course, through the STA um, website, um, there's just eve at sta.co. But that's usually for STA stuff, whatever. So um, if people are interested, you know, it'd be wonderful to um, uh, connect with all sorts of people. I've had such a good time, Michael. I really want to thank you. Thank I want to thank you for doing this podcast. When I told my daughter, Juliet, the one who's all Scorpio, I said, oh, I was asked to do that. She goes, mom, mom, you should check out his podcast first. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, oh, I'm sure it's fine. She goes, Mom, you really should. <laughs> so, um, but I did, and I've, I've found that, um, you know, what I've seen has been really, really, um, really good. So um, thank you. I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I thank love the, the broadness of it. I think that's really important. Thank you so much. And that, that last piece means the world to me because I've, I've gotten – a bit of backlash for it being so broad and for it being so inclusive uh, from some people in the astrological community. So I'm really happy that you appreciate it because I know that many people appreciate it. So thank mm. you so much for acknowledging that. Oh, you're welcome. And you know, people always complain. <laughs> One thing I've learned, it's like, that's just human beings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, I find yeah. myself, I have to bite my lip and not complain um, when I have that urge sometimes. But no, I do think what you're doing is wonderful. So thank you for doing it. And I actually love your background this time. All your thank you so much. And <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I, I, I meant to mention it. I thought it was wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, I recently had to close down my physical office space. So all of the things that were in my office are now in my bedroom. And I figured that I should put them up. Mm -hmm. And so this is the final result. Yay, yay. Well, we recently, I used to have my, my desk in our bedroom. It's a big room. And I had all my astrology books. And um, now that the kids have all moved, I've actually taken this little room up. And this is the office now. Um, so I've got the office stuff, which is what you can see. But there's also all my books. My, and I, I had such a good time moving it all. And then in our bedroom, I've put all these plants. So where, you know, so all these beautiful plants are growing, because I have a lot of house plants, not in this room, um, but in other rooms. And so now I wake up in the morning, there's all these beautiful plants and it's just great. And the cats love it. They're like, ooh, it's great. They sleep amongst them. So, so it is nice to have a life in the, in the bedroom, I think. Precisely. Anyway. If, well, Michael, I hope to one day meet you in an actual person. It'd be wonderful. I don't know. <laughs> Me as well. Now, but... Me as well. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And once again, thank you so much for being here. It means the world to me and it means the world to our listeners. And also to our listeners, if this is your first time joining us here on the Oraculous True Divination Podcast, or if this is your hundredth time joining us here, I just want to say to you from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here and sharing this space with us. I 
receive your encouragement. I receive your feedback. I receive everything, but most of all, I receive your love. And it means so much to me that you are a part of this ever-expanding Oraculos family. And as always, please do share this interview with your other astrologically-minded friends and even people who aren't that interested in astrology because my intention with these interviews is to create a language that allows everyone to feel as if they're a part of the conversation. So please do subscribe to the Oraculous Truth Divination podcast, share this interview with your colleagues and friends, and let's keep this magic and this momentum going on because more and more people need to hear from the astrologers who we interview here on the show. So until next time, everyone, be well, be safe. I love you and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's great. Yay. I really enjoyed this, Michael. It was a, a lovely, lovely thing to do. So I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much for um, letting me go off on tangents, <laughs> which I generally do. <laughs> I have to sort of remember Jupiter's my you know, and the third house. So, you know, I do tend to go on and on. And so... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and this is going to be amazing. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and your space. And I will talk to you soon and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Okay.